Hi, I'm Tyler Saltzi, pastor of Grace Bible Fellowship in Peru, Illinois. Our desire at Grace Bible Fellowship is to proclaim the Word of God for the glory of God. At the center of our proclamation is the one who is Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. We base who we are and what we do upon the good news of Jesus. If you would like to know more about this good news or would like to know more about Grace Bible Fellowship, please visit our website at www.gbfperu.org. That's www.gbfperu.org. I'm glad you've decided to listen to the teaching of the Bible along with us as we seek to understand it and be transformed by it. I hope you find this time meaningful, challenging, convicting, joyful, and even life-changing as we worship through the preaching of God's Word. I'd like to draw our attention this morning to the book of the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 28, beginning in verse 17. We've been making our way through the book of Acts, and this is it. This is the last sermon on the book of Acts, for now. (laughs) We've come to the very end. So if this is your first time with us, this is a good spot to be, because you get to hear the whole book of Acts again today, this morning. I hope it's been a benefit to our souls. That's been my prayer. I mean, that's why I preach. Because I believe God's word can minister to your soul. And that he does that every single Sunday that we gather together. That's, that, it's an invisible work. <laughs> that the word of the Lord is going out and sometimes I don't see it. <laughs> But I believe that the word of the Lord never returns void. Never returns empty. It's always working. It's always sculpting like that sculptor who continues to chip away at the rock. That's our hearts. Chip away at sin. Chip away at attitudes that aren't honoring the Lord. Chip away at thought processes that aren't in line with how God thinks. Chip away at the way that we view the world that isn't the way that God views the world. So that we would be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And so that we would become more and more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we do that because There's a day that we look forward to, (laughs) a day when we will see Jesus face to face and we will be like him because we see him as he is. You look forward to that day. You look forward to seeing Jesus (laughs) and walking by faith won't be needed anymore because you will see the one who is the Lord of glory. Would you stand with me as we read God's word? Acts 28, beginning in verse 17. I failed to say, if you're using the Pew Bible, page 937, 
you can find our text this morning. Let's read God's word together. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from, Jer- from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers, From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. to Father, Son, and Spirit now. Our souls we lift, our wills we bow. To you, the triune God, we raise with loving hearts our lives of praise. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. There's nothing quite like a good ending to a story, is there? It's something that you wait for. It's something that you anticipate. There's bated breath as the climax continues to build and build and build, and you're waiting for the payoff. You're waiting for the end. You can't wait to hear how it might end. Sometimes ends with a twist, doesn't it? Ends in a way that you weren't quite expecting. You weren't quite seeing it, and then all of a sudden there's this 
thing that happens at the end and there's this resolve and there's this relief of tension and everything seems to be put back into its rightful place. We like happy endings, don't we? We like endings where all of the questions, all of the loose ends have been tied up. Nice, neat little package. Complete and total resolve. And so we come now to the very end of the book of Acts. Is that how you feel as we read that this morning? A sense of resolve, a sense of like all of the loose ends have been tied up? If you've been here for the whole series, 61 sermons. Today is the 61st sermon 41 hours and 8 seconds, not including today, because I don't know how, how long I'm going to go yet, so maybe 42 by the time we're done. And, we get, and, and this is supposed to be the payoff. I mean, this is supposed to be like where everything makes sense, right? Everything, you know, where this happy ending, and is that the way you feel as you read these verses? Paul has just been traveling in chains from Israel to Rome under arrest. What's going to happen to Paul? doesn't say. We've seen the church being birthed in the book of Acts, and what's going to happen to the church? Will it continue on? Will it grow? Will it increase? I think part of the problem that we can struggle with sometimes is the whole point of the book of Acts. The book of Acts is not a biography about Paul. The book of Acts is not a biography about the apostle Peter. The book of Acts is not a biography about the evangelist Philip. The book of Acts is not a book about the first martyr Stephen. The book of Acts is about what the risen Lord is doing in this world and in his church. The book of Acts is about Jesus and who he is and what he's doing and what he will continue to do. That's why Luke ends the way that he ends. That's why Luke doesn't have to tie up all of the loose ends, all of the questions that you have rattling around in your mind about Paul and about the church and other things. The focus ends on Jesus and what Jesus is going to do and how Jesus is going to continue to build his church. And this is the genius part of it, <laughs> that Luke invites us as the reader in to say, continue on. We are being invited in to the work that Jesus Christ is continuing to do in the world. That's why it ends the way that it does, because Jesus Christ is not done with his work yet in this world. Jesus Christ wasn't done at the end of Acts 28. Jesus Christ is not done with his work right now. Jesus Christ is still working in our world. Do you pray that Jesus Christ is working here in this church, in our church? That he's working in 
gospel-centered churches in our community. That he's working in gospel-centered churches in our state, in our nation, and around the world. That the Lord Jesus Christ is continuing to act. That he is alive. That he is ruling and reigning, seated at the right hand of God. That he will come back again, but that right now, he has a purpose. For this church, he has a purpose for you in the work that he is doing. And it causes me to be chomping at the bit, right? I mean, think about this. If Jesus Christ is inviting you into this work, this invitation is coming from Jesus Christ to you. That you would say, I cannot wait to be a part of that. I can't, get, I can't wait to get in on that. Let me be a part of that. Be a part of what Jesus Christ is doing. Because that is the greatest work that will ever be done in this world as we know it. Is that the invitation that you hear? Is that the invitation that stirs your soul? Is that the desire of your heart? When we get to the end, we say, it's not even about me. <laughs> it's about what Jesus is doing. And if I can play a part in that, if I can have a small role in that, if God, by his grace, would so use me, a sinner, in his work, in this world, in his church, then I would give myself to that. I would become a living sacrifice to be used by him. What has it been about? What acts? You think about the book of Acts. Where have we come from? Where do we end up? And I think this is where we begin and I think this is where we end. We begin and end with the proclamation of the kingdom of God. Is that what you would have said? If, if I were to ask you 61 sermons later... <laughs> What is the book of Acts about? Would you say, the book of Acts is about what Jesus Christ is doing in proclaiming the kingdom of God. So why would I say that this morning to us? Because I think that's one of the threads that's been running throughout the book of Acts is this idea of the kingdom of God. Do you give much thought to the kingdom of God? Do you give much thought to being a part of the kingdom of God and what that looks like and what that means in your life? I mean, think about it. You can follow along with me in your Bibles, but let's begin at the very beginning. Acts 1.3. What does Acts 1.3 say? Talking about Jesus, it says, He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So what was Jesus speaking about during his 40 days after his resurrection? He was speaking about the kingdom of God. Acts 1.6, the disciples come to Jesus. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? What were the disciples thinking about? They were thinking about the kingdom. 
And they were looking for this restoration of the kingdom that they knew the Messiah was going to bring. And so if Jesus, if you are the Messiah, then there's this restoration that's going to happen. Are you going to do it now? And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, you need to think about how you think about the kingdom. You need to rethink about how you think about the kingdom. You're not viewing it correctly. But you will receive power. You will receive the Holy Spirit. And when he comes upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Here's the idea about the kingdom that you can't miss. The kingdom is about the king. And if you miss the king... You miss the kingdom. Acts 8, 12. It's Philip. When they had believed Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both Jew and Gentile. Oh, I'm sorry, both men and women. Not Jew and Gentile, both men and women. But you hear it there again. What was Philip preaching the good news about? About the kingdom of God. That's what he was preaching to these people. There in Samaria. How about another one? Acts 14, 22. Acts 14, 22. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. You hear it there again. We must enter the kingdom of God. It's going to come through many tribulations. There it is again, Paul now, talking about the kingdom of God. Right there. Acts 19, 8. And he entered the synagogue, and for three months, he spoke boldly, reasoning and proclaiming to them about the kingdom. What was Paul doing? He was telling them, reasoning with them, persuading them about the kingdom of God. How about another one? Acts 20, 25. Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders before his departure. And he is saying to them, And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. What was Paul proclaiming? He was proclaiming the kingdom of God. And now we get to our verses here, don't we? Verse 23, verse 31. What's happening again? Paul is testifying about the kingdom of God. He is proclaiming to them about the kingdom of God. And so think about that. From the very beginning, we've had this thread that's been running all the way through to the end of this kingdom of God. And so what has it been all about? It's an inclusio, right? It's a beginning and end these book ends, this idea of the kingdom of God. And so what does that tell us? Everything then in between that is dealing with this kingdom of God. What does it look like? What does it mean? How are we to be a part of it? And the fact that we should be those who are proclaiming the kingdom of God. 
But are you willing to proclaim the kingdom of God? Are you willing to join in on what Luke has been saying here to us? Are you willing to join in and continue the ministry of Christ as it is continued in the church? Or are we shirking what Christ has called us to do? Are we not fulfilling the responsibility that we have to proclaim the kingdom of God? And if we fail at that responsibility, if we deny that responsibility, if we reject that responsibility, can we be considered a church? Can we be considered God's people? That's why this is so important for us. Because this is what Christ is doing and this is what the church does. We proclaim the kingdom of God. And so I want to know how to do that. I want to know I want to know what it looks like in our lives to be able to proclaim the kingdom of God so that we can do it to the best of our abilities, to do it the way that God wants us to do it. So how do we do it? You can follow along there in your bulletin if that helps you, but this morning, four things. If we are to proclaim the kingdom of God, we must be open to the opportunities set before us. We must be open to the opportunities set before us. Let's remember where Paul is at the moment. He's in chains. He's been arrested. He's uh, under house arrest at this time. And Paul's normal, his normal routine when he enters into a new city is to go to the synagogue. That's the first place he goes. He goes to the synagogue, to the Jews, and he talks to them about Jesus Christ. He proclaims the kingdom of them. He tells them that Jesus is the Messiah. That's the first thing that he does. But now, because he's under house arrest, he's not free to go into the synagogue, but he knows there's Jews in Rome, so what does he do? He says, you come to me. Come to me. Let's talk. Let's have a heart to heart. And Paul gives a defense to them, right? First and foremost, he calls them his brothers. Though I had done nothing against our people, or the custom of our fathers. Paul is beginning to build this rapport with them and saying, hey, look, I'm one of you. You are my brothers. You are my people. We share the same fathers, the same forefathers. I had done nothing against them. I hadn't proclaimed against them. I hadn't told people to break the law. I hadn't broken the law. I hadn't done anything wrong. But yet I was a delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem. In fact, that word delivered there, if you see that in verse 17, that's the same word that the prophet Agabus uses in Acts 21. And so I think as we read that, we're seeing, hey, look, what Agabus predicted in chapter 21 has come now to fruition. And Paul says it. He was delivered over in Jerusalem. Delivered as a prisoner into the hands of of the Romans. He had come underneath their care. And he says, but look, the Romans, they arrested me, but then 
they took me to trial. They interrogated me. And they found that I'd done nothing wrong. <laughs> They'd found that there's nothing that they could make stick on me. There was no case for the death penalty. I mean, the Jews had been screaming, this man deserves to die, this man deserves to die. And they had plotted to kill Paul, even while he was under arrest, but nothing doing, nothing happened. They didn't find a reason for the death penalty. But the Jews continued to object and object, and so finally Paul was compelled to appeal to Caesar, saying, I want you to take my case to the highest courts of the land. Let me stand before Caesar and make a defense there. That's why he's in Rome right now. And then he says this, though I had no charge against Israel, though I had no charge against our people. Paul is saying, I didn't make my appeal to Caesar for revenge. I didn't make my appeal to Caesar to get back at our people, to somehow have vengeance against them. I'm innocent in this case. I care about our people. I love our people. And I have not done anything wrong. And they say, we, don't, we haven't heard of you. We haven't received any letters about you. None of the brothers have, have come here and have spoken any, any evil against you. And most likely, it could be that the Jews were thinking that their case was a lost cause. <laughs> that why, that's why they didn't send their lawyer across the seas to Rome to stand before the Roman courts. But Paul says, listen, we have the same hope. We have the hope of Israel. That's why I'm in these chains. I'm in these chains because there's a hope that you and I share. And I want to tell you about that hope. I want to tell you about that hope because hope has come. I want to be able to share that hope with you. It was an opportunity for them. It was an opportunity for a gospel hearing. I mean, isn't that what what they do. They appoint a day where Paul is able to give this gospel hearing. It's an opportunity that Paul could not give up. And how do you think about opportunities? When these kind of opportunities come, or when, you're, when you look for opportunities to proclaim the kingdom, when you look for opportunities to share the gospel, when you look for opportunities to share the good news, how do you judge those opportunities? Well, this seems like it's going to be easy. That must be an opportunity. This seems like this person or these people are going to receive it well, so this must be an opportunity. Is that the way Paul viewed this opportunity? Look, I am going to proclaim the kingdom to these people, and there's a good chance they're going to reject it. <laughs> there's a good chance that they are not going to receive it. There's a good chance that they are not going to like it. But guess what? This is an opportunity, and so I'm going to say it. Is it time for us to reset our expectations on the opportunities that are set before us? Where we say, it doesn't matter if this is going to be well-received or not. It doesn't matter if this person is going to accept it or not. They need to hear the gospel. They need to hear the kingdom proclaimed. I can't fix the outcome of what I'm about to say. 
But it's an opportunity, and I'm going to take the opportunity. Do you pray for those kind of opportunities? Doesn't matter what the outcome is. Doesn't matter if you're received or not. Do you pray for opportunities to give a gospel hearing? Do you jump at the chance to do that? And maybe we need to reset our expectations to the opportunities set before us. Like a young man in Central Asia named Mustafa. Mustafa is a 22-year-old man. He grew up in Muslim theological training schools. His goal was to become an imam. And as he read the Quran, he wasn't convinced that this was it. And one day, a New Testament was placed into his hands. And he began to read it. And he began to read it over and over and over again. And found in it that it had the words of life. It had the words of eternal life. It had the way of salvation. He gave his life to Jesus Christ. To what many would consider an unreached people group. With very few Christians in it. And Mustafa spent time, years, studying God's Word. That was his only way of growth for many years, was just reading the Bible himself. And when he finally did make himself known, he found other believers, a few other believers among his people, and they formed a discipleship group and one time, as their discipleship group met, they started talking about evangelism. What does evangelism look like? And the other people in the group began to, to say things like, you know, you need to really pick your spots. You need to really be strategic in how you say what you say, especially in a Muslim context. You really need to Think about what you're going to do, how you're going to say it. Might not always be appropriate to share, was some of the things that they were saying. And Mustafa sat there quietly listening until he was invited to join in on the conversation. It was then that he leaned in and said that prior to talking to someone about the gospel, he starts by resetting his expectations. He does this by rehearsing the passages where Jesus explains exactly what will happen to his followers when they speak for him. They're going to be insulted. They're going to be ostracized. They're maybe even going to be beaten. And Mustafa says, so I set my expectations according to his word. That way, I'm not surprised when something bad happens. And he went on to say, believe me, brothers, I've been ostracized and, and insulted, but I've received the blessing from the Lord every time I've opened my mouth. 
Do you realize what some people have to go through in their cultures because they believe in Jesus Christ? Mustafa has a father who will not speak to him. Mustafa has brothers who have tried to convince him to turn back, turn away from the Lord. In fact, Mustafa's own mother on the phone pleaded with him, be a thief, be a drug dealer, be a liar, but don't be a Christian. Are you willing to reset the expectations of the open opportunities that are set before you? And then you will begin to see opportunities that you've never seen before to proclaim the kingdom of God. Number two, be determined to deliver the message of the king. Be determined to deliver the message of the king. The Jews set up a day to come to Paul and hear from him. They say they came to his house in greater numbers, didn't they? More people wanted to hear what Paul had to say. And so Paul opened up his mouth and spoke and notice he was determined, wasn't he? From morning till evening, he expounded, he explained, he exposited, he told them. This was no three-minute gospel presentation, bow your heads and raise your hands. This was, you need to know the truth and I'm going to take whatever it takes to get the truth into you, to let you know the truth. And what specifically is Paul doing? It says he's testifying about the kingdom of God. Throughout the book of Acts, this idea of testifying has come up again and again. Testifying to the word of the Lord. Testifying to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. Testifying to the good news of God's grace. And now testifying to the kingdom of God. While all of these are somewhat unique, there is some overlap. There is some cohesion as to what people are testifying to in the book of Acts. But specifically here, Paul is testifying to the kingdom of God. And I think that Paul is reordering, restructuring the way that they think about the kingdom. Because this kingdom of God, as we learn about it in the Bible, has a very unique identity. This kingdom is already, and it's also not yet. It's already, kingdom of God is already now, but it's also not yet. It's not finally and fully what it will be someday. I mean, Jesus came, right, and said at the very beginning of Mark, the time, uh, the time has been fulfilled, right? The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus came and said the kingdom of God is at hand. It is now. It is here. Why? Because the king is here. That's why. So he has this idea of the kingdom of God and that this kingdom of God is not about acquiring a land. This is a kingdom of God that's about acquiring people's hearts, inquiring people's lives and inquiring people's minds. This isn't a territory that you can stake out with an an area of land. This is now a kingdom that's shown in the way that people live their lives how they follow Jesus Christ, to whom they show their allegiance to. 
It's a kingdom, like Jesus says, that starts out like a mustard seed. Small, insignificant, nothing. And grows to be the largest plant in the garden. It stretches out its branches so that even the birds make their nests in its shade. So Paul is having to reorient their idea of the kingdom, what this kingdom looks like, and telling them how they can be a part of this kingdom because that's the next thing. He's trying to convince them about Jesus Christ from both the law of Moses and the prophets. There it is. What is the Old Testament about? The Old Testament is about Jesus Christ. Paul's going back. Go to the law. Go to the first five books of the Old Testament. Jesus is there. It's testifying about him. Go to the prophets. It's there. Jesus is there. It's testifying about him. And everywhere else in the Old Testament, it's all pointing forward to Jesus. He is the subject and he is the goal of God's revelation even in the Old Testament. And so Paul is wanting them to see the glory of Jesus Christ right there from their own book as Jews, the Old Testament. See Jesus Christ, the suffering Messiah. See Jesus Christ, the one who would die for the sins of of ruined sinners, see Jesus Christ who would rise again from the dead triumphantly over death and the grave, wanting them to convince, be convinced about Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the one who we waited for. He is our hope. He is everything. Do we want to convince people do we say, I am this determined as Paul is. I will, I will do whatever it takes. I will say the message as long as I need to say the message. I will proclaim the kingdom as long as I can proclaim the kingdom. I will be determined. And Paul saying to them, if you miss Jesus... You miss everything. If you miss Jesus, you miss the hope of Israel. If you miss Jesus, you miss the way into the kingdom. He is the only way into the kingdom. And it says here that some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And I think there's some vagueness there, isn't there? Some were convinced, but others disbelieved. I mean, Luke could have said, some had faith, some believed. But he said some were convinced, which makes me think that maybe everyone who was convinced wasn't saved. You could be here today, and you could be convinced that what I'm saying is true, but you could still not be saved. Because believing is not merely just mental assent. Believing is submitting to Jesus Christ as Lord. Believe that God raised him from the dead and confess him as Lord. 
That's why this is so important. Not just that people know the truth, but that people submit and believe. And I am one who wants to be determined to be a part of this ministry to help people. To show people the truth and have that call. Will you submit today? Will you submit to Jesus Christ? Will you give your allegiance to Him? He is the King. He is the King of glory. Open your eyes and see the King of glory. And no life and no peace and no love and no joy. Let me tell you, if, if you see someone and they are determined, you know it, don't you? I mean, I never say, hmm, you know, I don't know if that person's really determined or not. Why? Because if I see someone determined, I know it for a fact. That person is determined. Is that the way that people would view you and your proclamation of the kingdom? I know they're determined. I know they will say it again and again and again. Pray for that kind of determination in your lives, dear brothers and sisters. Number three, be ready for some to reject the king. Be ready for some to reject the king. Don't you think that Paul should just make it easier? I mean, come on, Paul, lighten up a little bit. These Jews are struggling. They're having a hard time getting it. Why don't you just say something easy for them, right? Is that what Paul does? No. In fact, it says, he said one final statement, and then everyone leaves. (laughs) And they go away. This is like the straw that broke the camel's back, isn't it? And what does Paul do? He quotes there Isaiah 6 to them, doesn't he? He says, the Holy Spirit was right when he spoke through the prophet Isaiah about your fathers. And I think what Paul is doing is he's driving that dagger a little bit further into them, right? Saying, what the Holy Spirit said through Isaiah about our fathers, he was right, and guess what? He is saying the exact same thing about you. He said this about your forefathers, yes, but he's also saying this about you. God, the Holy Spirit, this is his word. This is his idea, understanding of you. They will indeed have ears, but they will never understand. They will indeed hear but they will never understand. They will indeed see, they will have eyes, but they will never perceive. Why? Because this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear. The idea there is their ears are so heavy, they can't hear. They have closed their eyes. What's the problem? The problem is a heart problem, isn't it? That's the problem. The problem is is that their heart is dull, it's insensitive, it's become numb, it's not working the way that it should work. 
Do you remember? Do you remember Isaiah 6? Turn there if this helps you. You can turn to Isaiah 6 and see what I'm saying. But Paul is saying, look, your fathers, your fathers, (laughs) notice that? Your fathers, not our fathers, your fathers rejected just like you reject. This was the prophecy of Isaiah, wasn't it? This was how Isaiah was proclaiming the kingdom. You see the verses just before Isaiah 6, uh, 9 and 10 there? What happens? The Lord says, whom will I send and whom will go for us? And what does Isaiah say? Here I am, send me. I mean, I can't tell you how many missionary sermons I've heard about these verses, right? Where it's, you need to say, here I am, send me to be ready and willing to go wherever God wants you to go. That, that needs to be our, hop, our heart posture, right? But look at what it says next. It's these verses, isn't it? Here I am, God, send me. Okay, I'm going to send you and you go tell them this. You tell them, you can't hear, you can't see, your heart's broken and it's dull and it's numb and it's insensitive and guess what? You're never going to hear and you're never going to see and you're never going to turn. You're going to reject and reject and reject and reject. You willing to go? You willing to say, here I am, send me? If that's the message you're to proclaim? People are going to reject it? Not have eyes and ears to hear? That's exactly what Paul does because Paul knows some people, these people, these Jews, the majority of the Jews are rejecting the Messiah. And they will reject and they will reject and they will reject and they will never, never see, never hear, never repent, and never come to see the king and that's exactly what Isaiah has done in Isaiah 6 isn't it Isaiah 6 1 in the year that King Uzziah died I saw the Lord high and lifted up seated on a what does it say there if you're there seated on a throne where is the Lord seated he's on a throne why because he is a king and Isaiah sees the glory of the king And now he's going to go tell other people about this king of glory that he's seen. But no one's going to accept it. No one's going to believe. They're going to reject and reject and reject. And some people will reject and reject and reject the gospel message. Some people will continue to reject the kingdom of God. And that's the problem. And that's the problem with the Jews. They would rather depend upon their own righteousness. They would rather depend upon their own works and what they can do to get to God rather than hearing Paul say, there is none righteous, not even one. No one seeks after God. All have sinned. All have turned their own way. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Pray Pray that you would proclaim the kingdom even if people reject it. Pray that you would that you would proclaim the kingdom and that God would in his grace and in his mercy open the eyes of some that they would see that they would see the king of glory. 
that God would give them new hearts, not, not to leave them in their dull, hardened state. And then, what does Paul say in Acts 28? Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Guess what? You won't listen, but the Gentiles, they will listen. That's been a, a huge part of the book of Acts, hasn't it? They've been preaching the gospel. Jews have continued to reject. Jewish leadership has continued to reject. And so the message continues to go out even to the Gentiles. They will listen. They will listen. Thank God that me as a Gentile, God gave me ears to hear. That I wasn't like the seed that fell along the hard path that the birds then came and snatched up. Pray for those kind of hearts where the seed of God's word and the proclaiming of his kingdom would dive down deep into soil and rise up and take root and bear fruit in lives. Number four, be confident to carry on as Christ builds his church. Be confident to carry on as Christ builds his church. Two final verses from Acts 28 bring us to a fitting close this morning. Paul continues to live in house arrest at his own expense for two more years. Two years he's there and he's still welcoming people into his house, right? Into his lodging. He's welcoming people in and I, I would say that this is he's welcoming all, that is he's welcoming Jew, he's welcoming Gentile, he's welcoming everyone in who would come to hear this message. But what is he doing? Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. Saying, there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's only through Jesus Christ. There's no other way. Telling them that Jesus Christ is king. And that the only proper response is to subject ourselves to him, to live for him. And how is Paul doing this? How is Paul proclaiming the kingdom of God and, and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ? He's doing it with boldness, isn't he? The apostles, the disciples, the Christians were bold people. And in fact, one time in the book of Acts, you remember this, in 4.13, the Jewish leaders are impressed by Peter and John. They say, these men speak with boldness, although they're uneducated. These are stupid people, right? They haven't been educated like we've been educated. But look at how they speak with so much boldness. They were impressed by that. You remember another spot where the believers are praying for boldness to speak. God, give us boldness to proclaim this message. Proclaim it with boldness. Proclaim it with courage. Proclaim it with confidence. What if you say, now just let's wait for a moment. I can't do this because that's not me. I'm not that kind of person. I don't have that kind of personality. I'm not a very bold person. To you, I would say this morning, pray for boldness. You could be timid. You could feel weak. God uses timid and weak people boldly as they proclaim the kingdom of God. 
Don't use that as an excuse saying, I can't do this because I'm not a bold person. No, get bold and pray for God to make you bold. Pray for God to give you the strength to be bold. It's not an option. It's not a, here's a nice suggestion. If you want, like to be bold, you could be bold. No. Christians are bold people. Is that you as a Christian? And then what does it say? He also proclaimed the kingdom, taught about the Lord Jesus Christ without hindrance. Nothing stopping this word. We've seen that throughout Acts, haven't we? We've seen the word of the Lord continue to increase and multiply time and time and time again. And it continues to go out. The word of the Lord, the the, the proclamation of the kingdom continues to go out without hindrance. That doesn't mean without trouble, does it? We've seen that throughout Acts. Guess what? They go and preach the gospel. They go and proclaim the word. Trouble. But what happens in the midst of that trouble? God works. God saves. God transforms people's lives. Without hindrance, the word of the Lord, the gospel, the proclamation of the kingdom is happening without hindrance. It's unstoppable. You can't stop it. So why would you try to stop it? Why would you be a hindrance to what the Lord Jesus Christ is doing? And think about that this morning. If you're struggling, if you're saying, why am I not proclaiming the kingdom of God? It could be for a few reasons. First, it could be because you're not a part of the kingdom of God. Because you don't know the king. Because you haven't seen him in his glory. Because you haven't subjected yourself to him and said, I'm going to live for him. You're not in the kingdom of the beloved son. You're in the domain of darkness. But the good news this morning is that Jesus has made a way for you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light through his son Jesus Christ who died on the cross to take away sin and to give you eternal life if you would but believe in him, trust in him, and confess him as Lord. Maybe the reason why you're not proclaiming the kingdom is because your priorities are out of whack, they're out of place. What does Jesus say in his Sermon on the Mount? Seek first the kingdom of God. Is that what you seek first in your life, brother and sister? Is that that your greatest treasure? And if it is your greatest treasure, if you are seeking first the kingdom of God, then won't you proclaim Would you tell other people about that treasure? I found a treasure. (laughs) I'm going to keep it to myself, though. Don't want anyone to know. Don't want anyone to feel awkward. I found a treasure of eternal life. I found the king. I found the one who's going to make all things new. 
Christ is continuing to build his church through his word, through the proclamation of the kingdom, through teaching about Jesus Christ, through his gospel. And this is the ministry that we, as Christ's body, desire to join into, isn't it? That we would go into this world and proclaim boldly the kingdom, that we would proclaim it without hindrance, and that Christ, by his grace and by his mercy and for his glory, would build his church. That's what Christ is doing. Don't miss it. Don't miss Christ and the ministry that he is doing, that he is continuing to do in us, in our church. Proclaim the kingdom of God with all that you are. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We ask that it would be a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. And for someone here, maybe this morning, the first time they've seen the light, the first time you've opened their eyes to the fact that they are a sinner, that they've been living for themselves. But today you've shown them the King of glory. Open their hearts to receive this King of glory, all that he is. And that we then would go out and proclaim the kingdom, Father. Let us do that. Let us not be satisfied with anything else, anything less. And let us be completely dependent upon you. We don't join in because we are anything special. We don't, don't join in because we have some status, because we have some great name, because we have some special talent. You've chosen what is weak in this world. You've chosen what is foolish and shameful and despised in this world to proclaim the message of the cross and the message of the kingdom. So, Lord, we depend upon you to help us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.